Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Los. I am the designer relations developer for Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine, LD at Large article at the back of the magazine. I hope you're all reading. If you care to read it backwards and forward, it only makes me all the happier. I am here today with a longtime friend, Bob Barnhart. He is an 11-time Emmy award-winning lighting designer for 22 Degrees. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Bob. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to make time to reach out to you today because I know that your schedule is just non-stop. Your list of clients and projects is as long as anybody I can imagine. For you to go from 110 miles per hour full tilt to a screeching halt has to be jarring on, I mean, it's jarring on all of us, but I, I'm, I'm especially interested to see kind of what you're doing and how this is affected you mentally, physically, and, and so on. So I was hoping yeah. that we could sit down and uh, kind of go over that today. Yeah. Well, you know, this, uh, my, my calendar year for the last many, many years has basically started with the Super Bowl halftime show, um, which of course is a long project that you work on even starting in April. Um, so, but by the time you get to the halftime show, you're, you're, you're ready just to do the show and get, get it done with It's You know, been a, a lot of talking, you know, television, we don't do a lot of talking. There's like some emails, uh, a survey, and then, uh, you know, truck doors open up and we go and we do it and we throw it back out seven days later and move on to the next job. But Super Bowl is a long one. So by the time you get to the Super Bowl, you're a little like, you know, fried of it. Um, and for years now, the next show I do right after the Super Bowl, it literally loads in while we're doing the Super Bowl. There's a show I've been doing for 22 seasons now, which is Family Feud, which is like the easiest show I could possibly do. And <laughs> I, I don't stay on the show. I, I'm just the designer. So I'm there the first week. And then another designer of ours, Ted Wells, takes it for the rest of the season. But I go in the first week, make sure everybody's happy. We're on the right page. We've, you know, smoothed out the whole look. It's actually kind of a difficult heat lighting show. Um, but I, there's nothing to worry about. No one calls me prior to load in. No one's got concerns. No one's wringing their hands, asking if we like the set or not. It's the same set. It's the same setup, basically. You know, it's not that nobody cares. It's just that everybody knows their job on it. So it's just like the best job to fall into right after Super Bowl. There's also another show called Celebrity Feud. Same show, different setup, different set, different studio. Those two shows fall back to back right after Super Bowl. And then I tend to take... March and April off, unless a, a fun TV special pops up. March, April, and October are the three months I try and take off because I don't have any annuals in there. So when this thing started to hit and it just looked like work was going to slow down, but didn't look like we were going to go into a hostage crisis, I thought, well, this is no big deal for me. Um, I was going to just go play golf and, uh, you know, do projects around the house. And I've always got some invention going. My first invention in 1992 was the pin splitter for stage pin connectors and you know I still have stuff going all the time so I thought I'm just going to spend time doing that anyway so I'm good and then I had a job April 1st I'm sorry May 1st and May 7th two different jobs one in LA one in New York and uh things started looking pretty bad there at the end of March and those two jobs went away then for the most part of Memorial Day show I've been doing for 20 years in uh, Washington it, for the most part is a formal show that we understand has gone away SB's has gone away um, that's the ESPN awards in July yep. that went away because there's no sports. So there's no awards to give out. So anyway, oh, wow. so then I'm kind of, you know, now you're starting to stare at the ceiling and realize 
this is probably going to be a relatively uh, bad year from an income standpoint. Um, I think television-wise, you know, there'll probably be a bunch of specials coming out to pick up to do little tributes and fundraisers and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll probably start getting some work in the second half of the year that are unusual one-off jobs, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it, it, otherwise it's, it just has, has, has you kind of, you know, not, I'm not worried about myself at all. Thank goodness. But I do worry about guys that we work with, all, you know, all the guys that you and I know, and mm -hmm. certainly things like the touring industry and the uh, guys that work industrial conventions and, and large industrial shows like that. I just worry because I know those are going to be the last to come back. Yeah, I send a lot of my love out to the brothers and sisters in the in the unions and the the stagehands that are going to be the last ones because even when we do come back, it's going to be one or two people at a time, and obviously it's going to be the the designers and the programmers to come in first, and then they're going to have to have one or two teams of people to come in, and it'll be the gaffers and stuff. Yeah, and then I mean, you just can't assemble twenty people to unload a truck these days. So it's yeah, going to be, we have to, we have to maybe literally start tipping the truck. <laughs> yeah. I might have to put my white yeah, gloves yeah. back in the yeah. bottom shelf and pull out some, uh, some fingerless gloves and start to uh, start humping. I mean, I, I, it, it, it certainly is the only thing in my lifetime. I, Cause I've been in this industry since I was 16 years old. It's the only thing in my lifetime that's actually directly affected the industry and how we do things, you know, nine 11 slowed us down for a minute and 2008 brought in some, you know, financial hardship, but nothing actually said you can't go work. Right. I mean, even sitting at home, you're just like, Oh, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to get some of this and I'll do this home project. Like, Oh, I can't, the store's closed. You know, it's like, wait a minute, we can't go do anything. Like this is really like, it's one thing to force me into retirement. It's another thing to say, I can't go enjoy it. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I, I, I do, you know, truly believe it will uh, come back. I just feel, you know, unfortunately for the parts that are going to come back slower. Although I will say there's been a lot of shows being discussed and a lot of protocol and procedure being discussed. And obviously OSHA is probably going to come up with their own. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think we can work around each other uh, safely as long as we're smart about it, you know, and like, I'm not a fan of rubber gloves because you won't clean your hands if you're wearing rubber gloves, but yet you're right. still transmitting, you're still transmitting the glitter, right? right? You touch something that's got glitter on it, then you touch something else, now it's got glitter on it. So I would rather we work smart and, and you know, wash our hands a lot more, sanitize, and I think we can work around each other. I, I agree. think we have to be smart about it. I think we can also divide the jobs up a little bit differently, um, you know, and not have to work so much in, even in, in pairs. Um, yeah, you know, I, I agree. Anyway. I'm with everybody else. I really look forward to the rebound and how it looks. And I feel like we're smart enough as a, as a community and as a species that we can figure this out. We've, we've been through uh, harder. I'm sure that we'll, we'll figure that we have, we have all the technology and all the information available to us. We just need to yeah. take the, the proper think, steps. And in the big picture, this whole thing is affecting the entire world. Yep. So the entire world's on it. It's yep. not like just the United States that's have that's to try and figure out what's going on. So from a science standpoint, every scientist that's curious about viruses is all over it. From mm -hmm. a work standpoint in our own industry, we're all thinking of ways to do this better and smarter while we're in the middle of it. The nice thing is, you know, as, as our industry goes, we we work well together. We work well with each other, except for the audio department we all really work well with each other <laughs> <laughs> but we all know about those audio boys <laughs> but, you know we, but we do work well with each other and and to say hey today's work call has got a new procedure i don't think anybody's going to say why is this person speaking french i don't understand i don't understand mm. what he's even saying it's not it's not going to be that i just think we we can pick up a new procedure or a way of handling a certain task or a day. I, I think we all really do well rowing boats together, even if you're out of town and working with an out of town crew that you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, we really understand quick organization. So when it's not a pandemic, how do you maintain your 
your reputation in LA. I would imagine that everybody's gunning for some of your jobs. I mean, I would imagine everybody wants to take away from you because you have such a laundry list of clients and projects. How do you remain relevant in LA? You know, uh, first, at least half my work is somewhere besides California. Um, the TV shows I do, uh, only about half of them are actually in California. But, you know, I think uh, if you really look, I mean, I do a show called So You Think Can Dance, which is a series, right? And mm -hmm. We talked about Family Feud for a second, which is a series, but I don't sit on it. Um, so You Think Can Dance, I do since only during the summer. Um, I'm responsible for some other shows like the Ellen DeGeneres talk show, if, if something goes wrong. But there's someone else there, Tom Beck. You know, Tom Beck, um, he's been doing it for years now. Anyway, mm -hmm. so um, about half hour here, but I would say for the most part, if you just think television specials, so once a year things, whether it's an award show or a music special, whatever it might be, there's not that many LDs that do it. And I think it's safe to say I know 80% of them personally. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would never go after someone else's job and quite often we share clients. So I've got producers or directors who are working, you know, with Simon, Simon Miles or Matt Firestone or John Kustner, or, you know, whoever. Um, and then I'm working with them the, the following show. Right. Uh, I think for the most part, everybody plays in the sandbox pretty well. Um, I'm sure there are some shows that I do that some people would like to do, but I think they would like to, you know, earn the right to do the show opposed to take it from me like there's there's not a lot of underbidding okay in our business um and although every once in a while someone does get a little wild hair and might call a producer saying you know someday i really want to do that show or i'll do that show for less it's pretty rare and usually the producer will be the first one to call you going do you know the guy just called Bendis? <laughs> wow so it sounds like it's a pretty big sandbox then it sounds like everybody's able to have their own toys in their own separate spots and you guys are sharing yeah, I think pretty we well find our niches i think we find our niches and we find you know i, I you know i uh, ricky kirshner is a, a big producer he does the tony awards he does a democratic convention he does the kennedy center honors he does a super bowl halftime show you know he does um, a lot of well-named shows but he's pretty loyal to whatever ld has been doing it lately you know, if somebody changes for whatever reason, they change, but he doesn't, uh, you know, I can do, I can perform well in the Super Bowl halftime show and he's happy with the work and happy with the process and all of that. But it's not like he turns around and goes, okay, now you're doing the Tony Awards. So, you know, ah, okay. for the most part, they're pretty loyal. Now I will say there are some producers out there, but I don't work with them who I would not say are very loyal. But as I've always said early in my career, when those producers hired me, I was very thankful that they hired me. And now later in my career, I'm even more thankful that I can say no. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've always uh, thought that the key to uh, success was um, being able to pick and choose who you work with. Yeah, that's, I think more, it was more in control we are. The, than it's a, yeah. The more in control we are of our career, the, 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 that, that is what success feels like to me. Being able to say no to something is a successful step to take sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just having the ability to say no, like, I don't need that in my life. Right it, now. I, yeah, it's, I've got, it's not, yeah, I've been there, done that, not worth it. A lot of times that's been the only way that I've been able to increase my rate is when some, when I get two people that want me at the same time, then I'm, I feel worthy of saying, well, he wants me for X amount. If you'll give me X plus 500, now we're talking. Right. And that's, that seems like right. the natural best progression to take yeah know? absolutely and yeah that and you just defined uh success to me i always say success is is choices the more choices you have the more control you have of your career the more control you have the more successful you are because mm -hmm. seemingly if you have choices you're going to point yourself in the direction you want to take your career whether it's with certain people certain type of shows all of the above so the more choices you have the more control you have the more control you have the more successful you are so, you know, each person can individually have their own success. Yeah. The more choices you have, the better you can negotiate too. If you have yeah, choices, absolutely. it puts all the cards in your deck. Absolutely. Negotiate because I mean, we all know that we're not going to get paid what we're worth. We're only going to get paid what we negotiate for. Absolutely. And you, you won't get it if you don't ask for it in general mm -hmm. business rule. Right. So it's, 
And, and you know, it also gives you just more confidence to feel worthy of asking for it because you have mm. enough choices. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and that, that is, a, is a big thing when you're trying to negotiate something. You have to feel like it, you're, you're worthy of it too. So how do you judge that? How do you decide whether your design is worthy of uh, the VMAs or uh, even the Rolling Stones? How do you say like this, this is what, so you think you can dance is worthy of? Well, I mean, I think personally, the, the, the key to success in, in any industry, but especially this industry, is um, your attitude, work ethic, and personality. I think at the professional level, your skill set is expected in, in, in the sense that your skill set is a bar that's already been set pretty high by the producers and directors and whoever's hiring you. And so to jump over that bar at a much higher distance than somebody else might have, it would be very difficult to do. But your attitude, work ethic, and personality define who you are and define what the work experience is for everybody that works with you and that you work for. Um, and that is what makes for a good work environment and makes people want to work with you. Um, because again, although your skill set's really important, um, it's really important to you. Because if you love what you do, you'll get, you'll get to work early, you'll have your best attitude going, your work ethic should be great because you're, you're doing what you love to do. And, you know, at, at the worst of times, at the longest of hours of days and days in a row, when things aren't going that well, you know, the best part of your personality and attitude will come out. And when everybody gets off that show, which is a boat to me that rocks on its way to show day, when everybody gets off before they leave the dock, they look back at each other and they go, who do I want to get on the next boat with? Well, and I don't want to get on the next boat with that guy. He threw up in my lap and, and she was screaming the whole time at the boat rocking, the boat rocking. But these people over here, they were so cool and they kept trying to just calm the boat down and, and make it work. Because, you know, as I always say, square wheels roll. You just have to push a lot harder. So sometimes we're going to be on a show where we're just going to push harder because the producer decided to produce a square wheel. That's fine. That's, that's what we're hired to do. So to me, you know, this all kind of comes down to how can we make the process as an enjoyable as possible, as productive as possible, obviously as successful as possible. I think the Super Bowl this year was a good example. It was a very, very difficult year. Out of my 20 plus years, this was the hardest show I've ever done for the Super Bowl. With with the field not being able to grow grass because they put a canopy over it and um, them putting grow lights on the field 24 hours a day to having two headline artists so there was no single direction. We had to follow two directions and try and make it one. Um, you know, and just a lot of other things that piled in on top of it. It was just a really hard year. And I, so again, I just take that as an example. It, and when we all look back at it after the show is done, people are gonna look at it and go, well, who do I wanna get on the next boat with? Like who tried to make that harder? Who tried to make it easier? Who laughed? Who laughed at it when it was getting completely stupid? you know, or who complains so much about something that isn't fixable. We, every show is the same, right? They, it comes in grades of, of, of clusterfucks, you know, but every time we used to do, you know, when you first started and you got these ballroom gigs and I'm watching a, this is a true story. I'm watching an audio guy who's all by himself, pull up a speaker in a ballroom, the Beverly Hilton, horrible place where they do the uh, Golden Globes. He's trying to pull up the speaker, right? Up to a pipe by himself. What he's using for a rope is the audio cable, which he has wrapped around the speaker, thrown over the pipe. And now he's going to pull the speaker up with the cable. And as he's pulling on it, he's about halfway up and it's not going well. And I can't imagine the cable is going to work anymore. I said, Just, we got guys, we can help you. And I, I got I to pull, I, I was a gaffer at the time. It wasn't a lighting designer, it was a gaffer. I'm like, I, I've got a rope here. You can have my rope and a pulley. He's like, no, I think I'm good. I'm like, I just haven't got a question for you. After you get this up to the pipe, what is your plan on how you're going to hook it to the pipe? And what, are you going to tie your cable off to something? What do you, what? <laughs> anyway, the real point being, those were clusterfucks and we all used to do them, right? And I'm so happy not to be involved in those. So we still get on them. They're at a much larger scale, but there's also a lot more support and a lot more people to get there. And we also have more experience. So we, 
we can, you know, look back and, and laugh at some of it, but, um, you know, nobody wants to be on a totally screwed up gig ever. Yes. I'm in the business for the stories, but unfortunately you have to earn them. <laughs> so it sounds like you're selling yourself much more than you are selling your designs in the initial process Like you're I just trying I, to say, yeah, I agree. I, I think in the whole process you are, I mean, I'd be curious if anybody out there would, uh, would counter that. I, I, we are, you as an individual, regardless of if you work for, you know, 22 degrees or whatever, you as an individual are a company, you are your own company and you are representing yourself. You are your own customer service, right? You, everybody is your client and, and they're all going to decide if they want to come back and, you know, work with you again. So, I mean, you can't just completely suck at what you do from an actual skill set standpoint. Right. But, but then again, isn't lighting sort of subjective? I mean, maybe I do suck at lighting. I don't know. Um, if if I, you can I, convince people that you don't suck, then you don't. That, that, there you go. I mean, is, you know, what, what famous painter is actually better than another famous painter? I mean, Picasso is so different than a Rembrandt. I mean, it would be, and, you know, you, you can make an argument that they're both great. And I wouldn't argue with you on that, but couldn't you mm -hmm. also then make an argument that if that one's good, this one can't be anyway, it, it's subjective. I, I, but again, um, you can certainly not understand the, the foundation of your skill set and not be able to balance lighting and, 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 you know, but, but I think where you can really screw up on the skill set side is you can't maintain your budget. You can't figure out your load in time. You know, you can cost production money that they don't see coming. That's part of your skill set, and that part mm -hmm. you could really screw up. But I think if you can keep the artist happy, keep the production and, and in my case, the network happy um, with the skill set, then as, if your attitude, work ethic, and personality are strong and bond well with those people that are hiring you, then you're in. You know, it's it's sort of like when you turn around one day and go, oh. I really like hanging out with this guy. He's like, he's, he's a really good friend. You know, mm -hmm. you, you don't pick your best friends. You, you find them, they happen. You know, you, you, you realize them one day, whether it's, you know, of the same sex, opposite sex, or whether it's a producer director or, or whoever it is you work with and, and around, there are certain people you like working with that you gel with. And, um, you know, and, and you kind of see things the same way, especially in, in my world, the, the, the function of the lighting designer and the production designer, the set designer are critical, right? Because in television lighting, unlike lighting for your eye, you really kind of have to light everything that you want to see on camera. You're going to need to touch it in some way, every mm -hmm. single thing, because the contrast ratio of the human eye opposed to the camera eye is 2001 opposed to 501. Mm -hmm. So the scenery becomes so critical that I have to know how every single piece of scenery is going to get attacked find myself or are we going to use some led tape that the scene shop's going to put inside you know whatever it's going to be so that relationship becomes so critical that you have to have a respect for each other and get along with each other um you know on a on a personal level um because you're going to be doing a lot of negotiating prior to those trucks opening up their doors and those negotiations need to be friendly and respectable you know we're trying to make the show better not just like make your job easier or make the carpenter's jobs easier yeah, to continue your analogy, uh, if you're going to hire a Rembrandt or a Michelangelo to do a self-portrait of you, you're going to pick which one is a good artist, but you also have to pick the one that you're going to hang out with for five hours to do a, a self-portrait of you. It has to be somebody you're going to trust in your house, somebody you're going to be able to have a cup of tea with before and after. I mean, you obviously want them to be a good painter, but at the same time, you're going to be spending a lot of time together. No, and I think that's a really good analogy. And, and, and even to take my analogy, which you took and take it another level, let's take it one more level. You're also going to pick that artist who paints in a way that connects with you. Mm -hmm. Right. So obviously the, the, uh, Da Vinci is going to be totally different than the Syrah. We're mm -hmm. all going to sound like we know artists around right now. Um, <laughs> anyway. I'm just throwing out all the artists Completely. that I know. No, me too. Completely <laughs> not true. I'm about to, I'm about to Google more names because I'm afraid I'm going to run out here really quick. But well, that, you know, we're definitely going to, you know, but we are going to do that. And and you're right about the fact that, you know, we're going to want to do this with people that we want to hang out with. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the touring industry uses a term more than I do, but we hire people we, we want to go to dinner with. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I would imagine that in your field, the stakes are even a little bit higher because I mean, you have so many people that are involved in hiring you. Whereas I usually only have to deal with one or two people where I was imagining you've got the entire network, you've got the artists, you've got uh, the DPs, the producers, executive producers. Yeah. It, uh, how do you manage it, all that? It can get, yeah. It can, it, it, so no one job's the same. I, I sometimes get hired because a director requests me and other times I've been hired by the producer and the producers asked, who do you think should direct this? Um, sometimes production designers <laughs> request, request working with me. Um, but uh, I would say for the most part, I get most of my work from the EIC, which is the executive in charge. That would be the executive producer that's mainly in charge of the budget. Okay. Um, they usually work very closely with the executive producer. They, you know, usually they're like business partners for life type of thing. Right. Um, that's generally where I get um, most of my work. Uh, I get it from directors. I do get it from executive producers that you know are more on the creative side. Um, for the most part, networks don't get involved. Um, they get involved in a backhanded way. They get involved in the the producer gets hired by the network or however that might go in that particular way to produce this one hour detail. Let's say the VMAs even. Um, so the VMAs hires a creative production company, which uh, recently has been Den of Thieves. So Jesse at Den of Thieves decides he wants to use me as the lighting designer. So the only thing that sometimes happens is the network might say, well, who is this guy? And what has he done? And so I, which I sent you earlier, I have a credits list, a one page credits list that I sometimes send out because sometimes network executives who revolve faster than uh, most uh, workers at a Dairy Queen, um, yes. they don't know everybody, right? So they wanna know, well, who is this person mm -hmm. who's ever done anything I've seen? So we have a little credits list, but otherwise networks don't tend to get involved um, too much. And, and the real key to my end of the industry, which I'm always very happy about, is I call myself a talentless lighting designer in the sense that I am not hired by talent. Um, mm -hmm. Where a lot of touring designers and, um, to, uh, well, not, not just designers, but a lot of people that just work in our industry get hired yeah. directly by talent. Yep. I, I like to be talentless. It, I, I, I've done a lot of consulting for Barbara Streisand and uh, Ellen DeGeneres and Debbie Reynolds when she was still around. That, that's fine to go in as a consultant now and then, but um, my eggs are not in one basket, shall we say. Yeah, in rock and roll, there's a lot of desire to kind of become part of the band. And there's a lot of people that think that they should be, they should buddy up to the stars so that they can generate loyalty. But that, it, it's a, it's a tricky game to play because sometimes if you fly too high, you can burn your wings. If you fly too low, you're not going to be noticed. It sounds yeah. like you have a good way to just kind of sidestep that whole situation. And you're like, I don't need to rely on the talent for that. Yeah. As much of a balance as I can get in. I want a little balance in there. I want them to know who I am and know that I'm there for them. Okay. But I, don't want to be in their face. So you take a Super Bowl, for instance, and we can go back to as many performers as you want. But so Lady Gaga, Super Bowl 51, I had, I was the one that created the opening where she's standing on the roof. And then I got Intel and did the drones in the background, making the American flag and she jumps off the roof. So I put that entire creative together from a music standpoint, what the drones were going to do, what Gaga was going to do. So I needed to make sure that as I was going to pitch this to her, that I had her confidence that she was aware of who is doing this and what's behind it. Um, so I had to be a little bit more in front of her. Okay. On that. But now you take all the other Super Bowl artists and, and I want to be there and I want them to know without question that this is the most important show of their career. And I'm aware of that. And I also take a lot of pride and importance in the show every year. And I always want this to be the best Super Bowl halftime show, bar none. And I, you know, I also want it to be considered one of the best shows of the year, bar none. And I, I make that very clear to the artists. I want them to really feel that we are 
behind them. But at that, that is the line I try and stay at. And I don't want to go any further into that. And I don't like go finding them every day going, how are you today? And what's going on? And what have you been up to? And I just, I just let them know when there is a conversation about lighting, when they come going, I'm a hundred percent there. If I'm watching them on stage in rehearsal and we make eye contact, I just make eye contact with them. <laughs> and every artist is different. Of course, some artists want to yeah. do a lot of communicating with you. you know, Justin Timberlake, um, you know, who works with Nick Whitehouse and his guys, they were all Nick and his guys and Justin were all like super, super easy to get along with. And if um, Justin had a question, Justin came and found me, you know, he didn't go to Nick and he wanted to just like talk it straight out. I love that. You can talk it straight out. There's no interpreting, but you know, Nick was always there in case something needed to be clarified. You know, then there's other artists who just want to go through their people. And I love that too. <laughs> as long as their people can, you know, decipher what is being requested and I'm not being led down a rabbit trail. But otherwise, I'll take that little bit of balance where they know who I am. They know I'm absolutely there for them, but I'm, I'm not here just to hang out with them. So you want your relationship should at least be based on a fair amount of trust and respect and at least noteworthiness of like, hey, I know that Bob's here and Bob's going to help me out and make sure that I'm safe and I'm going to look good. And Absolutely. that's it. That's hopefully Absolutely. where the, the relationship remains. That, 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 and, I, and, and, and I think that's part of my job. You know, mm -hmm. part, of, part of my job on any, on any show is the last thing you want an artist doing when they're about to go in front of, you know, millions of people is thinking, boy, I hope the lighting guy doesn't screw this up. <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't even want that to be in their head. I actually want the complete opposite. I want them to walk in there and go, you know, the lighting is going to look cool. This is going to be cool. You know, this performance is going to be cool. And, you know, I'm glad I'm a part of it. So, and, and I tell artists that too, they get a little nervous or you see a little anxiety in them. It's, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. this is just as important to me. I got to tell you, this is, you know. Yeah, I, just like, just like you, like they're too. also selling themselves. They're also Absolutely. out there like, hey, look, I'm also nervous. I'm also selling my my talents to the network so i need you Absolutely. to back me up and don't make me any more nervous right i mean yeah. honestly it's one of the hard things about my industry is you know i started in theater and i used to work for flying by foy right mm -hmm. so for six years i did hundreds of peter pans and wizard of Oz's and things like that but you know when i toured with kathy rigby if i had a bad night maybe i missed the mantle or whatever might have happened right it's a performance so you're you know it's not perfect every night so it, i had the next night to make up for it and if i nailed it the next night and did a really good flying performance i felt good the one problem in this business is tv specials you do once and you got one shot at it and you got mm -hmm. very little rehearsals to get you there so the the pressure that you put on yourself to, to do really well is one of it. One of the parts of that is I don't get another chance at this. You That's know, the a higher pressure. exposure. Yeah. And you add that into a Super Bowl, and you've got, um, you know, uh, an entire show that's got to be literally loaded onto the field, plugged in and calibrated inside an eight minute window, and then do the show and, and get it off the field. There's not even a commercial break to um, have a better act, too, if you will. Yeah, for a concert, if I blow a cue or something, I've just blown it in front of maximum twenty to fifty thousand. Whereas if your team blows a cue, you've blown it in front of millions. That's that's some pressure. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it, I mean, I I know that only the lighting people out there are really going to know I screwed the cue up. It, it, <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the key light that gets to you, and I try and explain yeah. it to follow spot operators all the time. It's like I can screw up all 700 like yous. But if you tip that follow spot down across their forehead once, your grandmother knows we screwed up. And <laughs> That's you know, email. Me, You're going to get emails yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's like, so the key light is like really where, you know, you can just get nailed. Even in intensity or doubling up when two follow spot operators get on top of each other, doubles your foot candles, they blow up on camera. You know, those are the things that can make you pretty paranoid. Um, on, on those types of events because you just don't get a chance to make it up and the, the uh, camera eye is just nowhere near as tolerant as the human eye.
mm -hmm. for that light level adjustment. So one of the things you mentioned that's kind of becoming a key of this podcast is that you're selling yourself when you're bidding on a, a, a project. How do you deal with rejection? Because for me, when I'm selling a stuff, I'm generally selling a, a design and I do my best to separate myself from my design in case it gets rejected. But it doesn't sound like you have that luxury. How do you deal with yeah. that? I mean, we don't really bid on jobs in, in our industry. If we get a okay. call from a producer that says, you know, I want you to do this job. Um, sometimes I get a call from a new producer who might say, you know, never okay. worked with you before, but someone recommends you, you know, what, how much do you think it would cost to go do a show at the Dolby theater? And, you know, because we do everything for the lighting end of the show in the sense of we handle the full budget, we manage everything for them so that they only have, it's a one-stop shop. You know, I might give them the price of what I think it's going to take to do a, you know, a two hour TV special at the Dolby theater. And they might come back to me going, we're going to go with someone else. You sound expensive. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I, I would say at this point in time in, in my career, you're not going to get to me because you think I cost too much money. The only thing you could really get to me is if you say, um, you know, we've worked with you and we think you're a pain in the ass and we don't want to work with you anymore. That would totally get to me. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what happens to, to, to us in, in this end of the industry is um, we don't get asked to do a job the next time. Right. Um, and a lot of times that comes with they, the network changed out production companies and the production company has you know, like their team. Right. Or, or the director changed out or, you know, so, something of that nature. But when, when you don't have those excuses to fall on and it turns out you just suck and they don't like you, um, you know, that one, that one's going to get to you. So like you just said, you know, I think you just have to, you have to like your own work. You can't fake liking your own work, but you, you know, I'm going to do what I think is best for the show, what I think looks best for the show. Um, obviously I'm going to listen to all the people above me in the, someone decides they just don't like red then show so be it you know i'll yeah. change the, the look of that you want no fries red. with that is that for here to go you know it, it at the end of the day you know we are here to, to serve them so um i think the only thing that ever gets gets to me is when i when when you're basically not asked to back onto a show but there's no legitimate reason except that no one likes you anymore <laughs> i guess i'll go eat worms <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine that that is the the ultimate uh, failure is when somebody's like, hey, you know what, we're going to go another route. It's like breaking up. It's, it's not us. It's you. It's a uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I think you, you get a pretty good sense of it at a job, though, whether or not you're really getting along with certain people or not. Uh, I, there has to be a fair amount of bean counting going on as well. There, there's, there's a lot of business to the show business. Does it ever come up that they're like, Hey, you're, we just don't want to pay what we, what you think you're worth. So we're going to go another direction because you haven't sold us on this design. We don't think it's worth that amount. Um, yeah, I'm not sure anybody's ever totally put it that way, but, um, I do know that there are jobs that come and go that are on a smaller scale with producers I work on with that have chosen to go with a different designer that they feel like it will be cheaper. Okay. I don't, I don't think our fees are that different from each okay. other. I don't actually know, but I don't think they're that different from each other because the producers usually just kind of set the fees. Right. But I think um, sometimes maybe our approach could be more expensive. Okay. Um, so, but I do try and uh, go to the middle ground on that and I always try and keep the door open for producers to make sure they understand that like, look, here's what we'll get for this amount of money. Here's what we get for that amount of money. You know, what are we, what are we looking to do? How far do we want to take this? I mean, it is a business and everybody is there to make a living. Hopefully nobody is there to make a killing. So mm -hmm. I just need to know from the producer, how far do you want to take this? And you know, here's what we'll get. Um, it, you know, it's a, I, I sometimes get into these crazy arguments with really experienced money producers, EICs, really experienced. And they're like, well, I just don't understand why it's going to cost us. It's like, well, it's really not that much money. I'm lighting your orchestra, right? I'm using half the lights that come with the building. And then I'm going to light the architecture in the audience. And I'm going to light your audience. Well, mm -hmm. why are you lighting the architecture and audience? I said, 
because you plan on shooting them. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to shoot them, well, we'll need to see them. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we don't, what if we don't shoot them? I said, you get your director to call me and tell me he's not going to point a camera out <laughs> into the building that we're in to show yeah. context and, and, you know, understand our geography. Fine. I won't light him. Well, what if we only shoot him a couple times? Well, then I'll only light it a couple times, but it's still going to cost the same <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> I'm talking really experienced people. I'm talking people have been in this business yeah. for well over 30 years. <laughs> we'll continue to do what I refer to as hope as a plan. Like, you know, we're going to do an outdoor job and you're like, well, what if it rains? Well, we're going to, we hope it doesn't. Oh yeah. Okay. So after that falls apart, <laughs> what are we going to do if it rains? Are we going to get wet or do we have a backup plan? Are we shooting the next day? Well, we really hope it doesn't rain. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hope we just hope that people aren't going to inject themselves with disinfectant. We don't know. Or, or, or <laughs> we maybe we hope. are. I don't know. Maybe we do. <laughs> maybe Darwin didn't realize <laughs> how, how right he was. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it happens all the time. We're like, hey, what if we don't like that? Well, then you won't be able to see it. Right. But we paid for it. Yeah, I know. That's why you want to shoot it. So we have to light it. Oh, man. I just wanted to spend how much we spent on it. I didn't want to I right. didn't realize we were going to have to light it, too. Yes. Yeah, just, for just a little bit. No, you're but at the Fox a... Theater in, De- in Detroit or something or at the yeah. in New York City, and you've just rented the most beautiful room. Exactly. You don't want to see it? That's, that's the whole point it? of what, being in what, the room. What are we doing here? What are we doing here if we're not going to look at the room? But, you know, when, uh, when I... Uh, was going to make the leap to being a full-time lighting designer. Uh, one of the most famous uh, television lighting designers, Bill Clages, who is uh, now retired. He said to me, you'll, you'll be fine. He goes, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. Number one, don't be cheap. If you're cheap, that's the only people that will hire you and you'll never work on, you know, good shows. And number two, producers lie. <laughs> he's, he's like, they don't mean to lie. They're not lying on purpose. They're lying out of hope. And he literally said, if they tell you not to light the audience, you probably better put some light on the audience because they're lying, but they were lying out of hope, not, not out of, you know, trying to lie to you. Yeah, they then, are lying for sure. It's... They, are, they are, they are. And there was another funny line that a, another lighting designer said, um, he was, you know, telling him, look, look, we're going to, you know, spend some money on this area over here. And the director says, well, we're only going to see it for a minute. And he goes, well, do you want to look like shit for a minute? <laughs> well, I hope uh, that it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly right. Right. That's why we're going to be spending a little bit of money to like yeah. this area. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how expensive that little bit of advice is. You're like, hey, if you're going to light it for a minute, I need to light it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And you, you brought me on to tell you that. And I'm, and I'm, I'm worth every penny. Yeah. Well, you know, this, the industry is full of really experienced people who bang their forehead into the same I-beam every morning on the way to work. It, <laughs> you know, I, I can't tell you how many outdoor shows I do, which I hate outdoor shows because it means I have to work all night. And they'll want to do a survey for a shot that's going to happen at 8 p.m., but they'll want to do the survey at like 11 a.m. Like, well, why are we surveying this at 11 a.m.? Well, we need to talk about it. Like, yeah, well, why don't we survey it at 8 p.m.? So we know what it's going to look like. So we know what street lights are in our way, what, what is and what isn't going to work for a camera shot. Well, no one wants to. That's, that's when we're going to go to dinner. Hearing you say it sounds so logical and rational and reasonable, but I would imagine you have to remind people of that constantly. Constantly. Hey, like let's constantly. go kind of get a feel for the site at the proper time. Yeah, do we really have to? Yeah, I don't got, want to do that. I've got yoga yeah. at that time. Exactly. Yeah, I have a dinner yeah. plan. <laughs> yeah. I got to be in Hollywood Hills at 9 p.m., so I'm never going to make it from there across right. town. Right. <laughs> I would imagine that you get a lot of eccentricity in L.A. A farm, I don't know if you get more or less than I do in the rock and roll world, but I would imagine you get a lot of people with just these super grandiose ideas until you throw the number at them and they're like, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe I overshot. And then you still have yeah, to provide the same impact at a, at a, at a lower price. Yeah. I would imagine you get some pretty good ones over touring, but um, Oh yeah. 
but yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, I would say we, we get some, uh, you know, we'll call it pie in the sky. Super Bowl is especially good for pie in the sky, um, mm-hmm. going way out there, but so is a show like the, the VMAs. They, they can be pretty good too about, um, really thinking big. I like big though. If you're giving me enough time, I like to problem solve. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving me enough time, I'm all in on at least figuring out what it's going to take. Cause, cause I always say that, you know, our job is not to say no. Our job mm-hmm. is to tell you how much yes is going to cost, you know, what it's going to take to make yes happen. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I tell college students all the time, it's like, I've checked all the rosters out there and all the job positions for problem identifying have been taken, but all mm-hmm. the job positions for problem solving are still wide open. Yep. So, you know, if you're looking for a job, be a problem solver, not a problem identifier. Um, you know, so again, when, when another department, like there was a crazy idea on the Super Bowl once and all, all of the artists remained nameless, but they wanted to do a giant human mobile. So 60 dancers on a giant mobile hanging from the ceiling. Well, by the time everybody 60. looked in the height, yeah. Okay. Human mobile, like just spinning human mobile, right? So by the time everybody figured out how it would happen is the performers would have to be up there before kickoff and a crane, you know, a full horizontal building crane would have to be installed and a hole would have to be put through the roof. So everybody's like losing it about all of these realities. And I said, stop, we have the answer. We, We know how to do it. That was what we were asked to do. We were asked to come up with how can this be done? And we've mm-hmm. come up with it. Yep. Now present it and it will be immediately killed. <laughs> we <laughs> did our job. You know, I, Justin Timberlake had a cool idea for his entrance to the Super Bowl, which we sort of did in a, in a way when you look back at it now. But the first idea was to be in a sweet 50 yard line all the way, you know, up at the main uh, owner's box level. And then he would somehow get down onto the field. So, it was, you know, I like it. This idea was in September so that there's plenty of time to figure this out. So, you know, we start talking about it. And of course, you know, moving inside a Super Bowl stadium isn't easy whatsoever. Um, but a 12 and a half minute show, you can't spend eight minutes of it getting down to the main stage. So, we're, <laughs> you know, we we're talking about it and I, and I kind of had an idea and I didn't know Nick Whitehouse and his guys that well at that point in time. So, we decided to all fly up to Minnesota the next weekend after this idea came out and just walk it out. And, and so that whole week I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, I got it. We'll take one of these new double decker airplanes that they make, take the upstairs escape inflatable slide. We'll inflate it over the audience and he can slide down from the suite to the field. Now I don't know how violent these <laughs> slides are when they inflate i have no idea at this point in time but right now i'm just you know it's september i'm just working on the solution we'll figure out how we actually execute the solution you know once we come up with it so when we all meet in minnesota i go to nick i go nick i got it here's what i think we can do and i explained the whole thing and somebody on his team i don't remember who it was somebody on his team looked at me and goes i think that's a little over the top i said okay good now i know where you guys stand but i did have a solution <laughs> but okay I, now I know that, you know, don't just solve the problem. We got to come up with something that you like. And we ended up ultimately took two more months, but we ended up ultimately on the ground where you started in a, in the, um, in a, what was actually the Delta lounge, but I think we renamed it the Pepsi lounge and he came out, you know, from a vomitory on okay. the field. So, you know, the, so the, the creative idea became, we came up with a creative solution. It just wasn't the same exact one, you know, where we started, but, I, I, I love going through crazy ideas. And I think one of the critical things when somebody does come up with a crazy idea is one being wide open to it and, and also trying to hear it with a bit of a blurred ear in the sense of it's not maybe literally what they're saying. It's the vibe of what they're saying. Um, so, you know, I think some cool things can come from it. And I also think it's really important to remember where you started. So mm-hmm. as you get closer to what you think the solution is, but now the solution doesn't seem cool anymore look back at what the actual request was and how did we get to the solution? Cause maybe that has actually gone away and, and we no longer need to serve that problem. Maybe that problem went away because of something else. 
but um, I found it really important if you can remember why why did we go down this road? How did we end up with you know this last year's Super Bowl with two uh, appended stages left and right? And how critical are they? And what are they for? Because those stages at one point in time got to be kind of out of hand. Um, and when we kind of regrouped a little bit, we we were able to realize, well, you know, we, we didn't need any of this anymore. What, what, what those things were serving went away. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, you still have yeah, to wait. serve the initial message. Like even though you've compromised from a uh, an emergency float ladder that shoots out over the audience to uh, walking in from the bomb, you're still getting you're staying true to the impact where Justin appears from somewhere at the 50 yard line. Yeah. And I think the Gaga opening of Super Bowl 51 is, is also an example of that I wanted to bring mass drones to the Super Bowl, and I wanted the artists to be able to interact with them and Intel was in and it took a long time. But by the time we finally were able to get into the stadium, do a test, get the NFL to take a look at it, the FCC, the FAA, the FBI um, and Homeland Security, it became a non-starter that they could be inside the building that year. Mm. Two years later, I did that indoor lantern festival with Maroon 5 and, and that was okay. But so here we had this cool thing that the artist was really in love with. We didn't know what we were gonna do with it at the time, no American flag, nothing like that. And they couldn't be in the building. So the you know question was, how can you do something cool with them where it's not an Intel commercial? but Gaga is still a part of it. And that's where we end up with the, you know, the opening that you see. Mm-hmm. But it, again, looking at, you know, this cool creative thing that came up, but where do you put it and how do you use it? You know, th- this is actually, I think the best part of the industry. I like problem solving and I like, you know, coming up with solutions to things that, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't always seem like there's a, there's a good one out there. It sounds like you're a default yes designer. Anytime somebody throws something crazy at you, like, yes, we can do that until you yeah. try it and try it and try it. And you're like, yeah, okay. So, so no, that's. I'm very realistic. I mean, if you say that you have this cool idea, you want to do this and this, I will tell you if I know the answer right away, I will tell you right away, we could do it, but here's what it's going to take. Right. You still want to do it? You know, quite often the answer is no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. I, I don't want to, you know, get into that. It's like, you know, okay. But if you, if you did, I know how to do it, but you know, it's quite often they, you know, they don't want to, to go there. But again, I love it when production companies, and it's not always just money. I love it when production companies want to solve a problem. We did an Andrea Pacelli TV special called Love from Portofino. It was in Portofino, Italy, you know, went and did the survey and the idea was, Andre's going to be on the stage in the middle of this little tiny port town, tiny, if you've never seen it. And it's surrounded by basically uh, these, you know, classic Italian uh, three-story buildings that are all connected, except for a couple of ways in and out of this port. And I said, you know, I think the coolest thing here would be able to light the town at night, but you can't see any lighting instruments. And, and I think to light Bocelli's stage, but you can't see any light, you can't see where the key lights came from, and I'll hide the backlight as best I can, but not do a bunch of fancy beam lights on that, but make it just seem like this is what it's like every Saturday night in Portofino. Mm-hmm. And uh, that production company, again, it wasn't a lot of money. They didn't spend a lot of money. They said, well, how can we do it? I said, I need people's rooftops and balconies that aren't going to be in the camera shots. If I can get on their rooftops and balconies, the rooftops are like uh, patios. Yep. Um, and I can hide the lights and put them around in different places than... I can light all these buildings and I can light the production stage without you really seeing, uh, you know, per, not you a know, single truss. Not a single truss. No, we did do a front of house scaffolding tower for my yep. follow spots, uh, lighting and audio control consoles um, because there wasn't a building that direction to even get on. So we just, of course, avoided the front of house tower on camera. But um, no, there wasn't a single truss. There wasn't beams of light anywhere. There wasn't, you know, anything like that. We just, we lit Portofino. Um, yeah. And what I liked about it, though, was everybody liked the concept. So everybody was on board to, to pull the concept off, um, which I like. And it's in, in, you know, in every way of let's write all these apartment people, you know, letters telling them that, you know, we want them to be a part of the show. We want their shutters open and their lights on and people looking out the window. We're going to put some lights on your rooftop if that's okay. And, you know, some people said, no, you can't put lights 
on my balcony. You can't do this. But after we got there and we started lighting the town at night, you know, we'd work till two in the morning. I would, the next morning, the mayor come to me and go, would you mind putting a light on this balcony over here? Like, no, I, I don't, I don't need a light on that balcony. I understand, sir, but, <laughs> but they really want to be a part of this show now. So they would really like to be able to say that they have a light on their balcony. It doesn't have to do anything. So we literally would send a guy up with like a Leco. He, he put it on a stand, he'd plug it in, he pointed it up at the sky. It's like, okay, <laughs> whatever this takes <laughs> to get this whole I'm town a, involved. <laughs> they were helping. They were, they were, they were helping. They were very they happy. They wanted to be a part of it. Exactly. So, you know, those are, those to me are like the best gigs when everybody is going to drive towards the same goal and they're doing it enthusiastically. I've seen that one actually. I've seen it a couple times. And I, if I remember, there is nothing, nothing to be, if I can remember one sweep, maybe I, I noticed that the light source was coming from the rooftops, but I don't know if I ever yeah. saw an actual fixture. Yeah. I mean, you understanding lighting, of course, when you watch it, you'll, you, you can tell where my backlight's coming from one balcony, but I can't, I can't hide it. Uh, right. We just tried to make it as uniform as possible, but um, yeah, I can't, I can't hide that part but yeah yeah no i was very happy with the way that turned out and and honestly we did it considering we lit an entire little town we did it for very little money in the in the big picture um and it was, it was a good project it was well received that's that must have been a great feeling to be able to present something that is basically minimalist in nature but very extensive at the same time you like, hey i'm going to try and work as hard as i can to not be flashy right? Exactly. because it's Portofino. Why do I, I don't need to, anything I would hang would just clash with Portofino and Andrea Bocelli. It, yeah, and it, exactly. And his music and his music style and, you know, and, and all of that, it, it would, it, in my opinion, it would clash it. The, and the, you know, the idea a lot of times in my approach is uh, I want to enhance the story. I uh -huh. want to be the story. Yeah. Um, you know, whether people like you and I notice lighting, that's different, but I don't necessarily want people in the middle of the, you know, country to go, Oh, the lighting was cool. Yeah. If they're distracted oh. by the lighting, then they weren't yeah. focusing on Bocelli at that moment. Right. And we, we feel the same way on. So you think you can dance all the time. It's like, we get to be really aggressive with that lighting, but we're being aggressive to try and help tell the story that the choreographers come up with. We're, you know, we're trying to light these two pieces of moving scenery, these two dancers who are getting in the way of the light properly, that helps tell the story. But I don't really want a non-lighting person to go with the lighting on that dance was cool. I want them to say that whole dance was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing. Whereas if you, if you miss them, even for a moment, the people are going to notice because of a, a bad follow spot or something. And the same thing, if you have a thousand lights in that, in that studio, the, it's going to be distracting if if one sharpie beam sweeps where it's not supposed to be or something you know it's yeah if, i mean if, if if the idea is that it's lighting is part of the production approach it's fine but you still should just be looking at it as an overall cool look not that lighting was noticed more than the performer that was supposed to be in front of the light mm -hmm. not everybody shares that theory i don't No, there's a lot of people out there still that exist that and there's a place for it, but there's just everything all the time. If the light's there, we, it needs to be on and it needs to be moving and it needs to be rotating and it needs to be changing yep. colors. And th there is a place for that. It, it's not always the best way to tell the story though. I, 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 yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I totally agree. There's, there's a lot of that out there too, even with, with newer technology where people want to show it off you know, AR or um, which we have to deal with a lot of this augmented reality or another layer on top of where people want to show it off and spin it in your face. Like yeah. That's a whole other podcast. That is a whole <laughs> yeah. arrow in our quiver, isn't it? Oh, or, or I feel like sometimes it's actually an arrow in my back. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll work on getting you a better quiver to protect <laughs> you back thank you so much for taking the time bob i really appreciate it i uh, i feel like we're in such a good place we could talk for for a couple hours we might have to do another one of these sure yeah no thanks for uh thanks for the invite
Absolutely. Pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with me. I, I will definitely get some of this, these uh, nuggets of wisdom out to my listeners and make sure that everybody knows what they're, what they're getting when they're talking to Bob Barnhart. <laughs> A lot of sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. It's good talking to you.